Uh, good morning. Good morning. There you go. Just trying to wake everybody up. All right. How many of you guys knew today was Pentecost Sunday before you got here? All right. Six of you. Uh, <clears throat> all right. Well, today we are going to draw our attention to Pentecost Sunday, but I want to, I want to do it first off in a, in a way that recognizes you know, Pentecost Sunday, if you study the, the theology, the history of what God established, is the day known for the birth of the church. It's the day that God gave his spirit to the church so that there could be ministry and there could be power for ministry to one another. And so we get these great passages like 1 Corinthians 12 about the body and the different parts of the body that all minister together in Romans 12. So God has tucked in each individual person unique abilities and power by the Holy Spirit so that the church could become what it's called to be. And it could, it could have an impact on one another and on the world in which we live. And so we're, we're gathered here this morning having been impacted by Pentecost in a number of ways. I mean, we'll unpack Pentecost a little bit more this morning, but there are people in your life that God has sent by the power of the spirit to have an impact on you. And so I want to take a moment this morning in, in, in recognizing Pentecost to also recognize some of those folks who have labored among us. And, you know, in the first service, we, we took some time to do this. And so this is going to be a little bit of a duplication. I'm not sure if I, all my folks that I need in here are in here or not. But we wanted to lead off with one particular person uh, that we're going to single out. And, and we've got a special uh, video for her um, she has served in our children's ministry and led our efforts in children's ministry. I, I, I didn't get her to clarify this morning, but it, it's probably been close to a decade of serving. And I need to ask her to, oh, there she is, um, to clarify that for me. But for many years now, our children have been loved on, cared for, pointed to a powerful God, given insights about how to get around that God, how to know him, how to experience him in their lives. And then all the folks who have worked in our children's ministry through the years have been helped, equipped, strengthened for that task. And so she served in this category for so long. Some of you are now adults. I'm not sure any of you are married yet, but you're, you're adults who have gone through our children's ministry and your life has been touched by the person that we're going to honor this morning, Miss Ellen Pell, who has cared for and served us so effectively all these years. So we, we put together a little bit of a video presentation that really communicates from our children's ministry workers and our, our kids there. Uh, thank you so much to Angel Missios for the help with this, for Ronald's help as well. Uh, but take in the gratitude and the appreciation because I think you get a sense, even if you don't know Ellen, you will know her a little bit as you interact with this video. So let's watch together. This is your work. How's this? Perfect. <laughs> we ready? Yeah. Ellen, you are so approachable. Splice? Okay, now just say the word approachable. Approachable. Or approachable. A little bit more serious that time. Now okay, you... now say a sentence. Okay. Ellen is selfless. We are so thankful for all of your hard work and dedication to our kids. Miss Ellen is loving. 
Miss Ellen is gracious. Nurturing. Since we've been here, we have always felt very protected, loved, and cared for by you. You have always been so warm and kind and wise, and we have absolutely loved having you in our lives. Generous and a blessing to this church. Miss Ellen is kind. Hardworking. Honest. Really nice. Thank you, Miss Ellen, for having wisdom over teaching us and helping us to learn more about Jesus. Um, thanks for your deep and genuine care for each individual child and parent at LCC Kids. Thank you, Miss Ellen, for all the things you did. Thank you, Ellen, for loving our kids, for loving us workers. Thank you, Miss Ellen, for all you've done and all your hard work. Thank you for always inspiring me to put great books in front of my kids and help them enjoy God. Thank you for all your hard work, Ms. Ellen. Thank you, Ms. Ellen, for being really kind to me, and I really appreciate everything that you do for us. Thank you for always listening and letting me express myself. Ellen, thank you so much for your years of investment in the children and the families at our church. You just have been so diligent. I love have, you know, watching your, your burden and your heart for these kids to understand the gospel, to experience something of Jesus Christ, and for your investment in our volunteer staff as well. We are so grateful for your partnership, and we're so thankful for the years that you have invested here and how you'll continue to serve God's kingdom. You give great smiles. All right, I, I called Ellen up in the first service. This is the weird thing about doing two services is you're always duplicating things that you've already done. So I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure she's not eager for me to call her up here again and hand her another gift card because I've, I don't have any more gift cards for you. I'm sorry. But some of you who haven't had children in children's ministry, you don't even know who Ellen necessarily is. And so she is in the back. Wave to all of us. And can we just say thank you to the gift that she has been to all of us. Thank you, Ellen, so, so much. Uh, thank you. All right. Now, this morning, I, I thought it would be a good moment for us to... In, in the spirit of Pentecost, this moment where God intended that each and every one of us would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to have an impact on building up the church for its mission, right? There are folks all around us who have been pouring their lives out into our lives and have been affecting us in a, a variety of ways. And so this morning, we just wanted to acknowledge some of these folks. This is not an exhaustive list of everybody, but it is significant categories that we want to draw your attention to, to both look for Pentecost among us, but also to look for these people and, and to thank them as they serve us and help us to encounter God. So there's categories like our hospitality team. And at the end, I'm going to have us all applaud and thank for the, thank these folks. But <clears throat> Judy Gambino, 
Ronnie Boyd, you have, have met their emissaries who have greeted you at the front door and cared for you from the moment that you walk into the building. Uh, one person you've probably never met, but you've come across his stuff in, in the media department. It, it takes a lot of time. It, it took a lot of time for, uh, for Angel and for Ronald to create that video. You watched it for two and a half, three minutes, but it was hours of time to get those interviews done, to edit those things. And so our folks who work behind the scenes in that, you don't see their hands at work. You just see the product. Uh, Bob Officer works countless hours serving us in these categories. And he's seated back there in, in the booth doing some work even now as we speak uh, as well. The, the worship team and the worship leaders, you know, as we've gone through uh, changes and adjustment in our, our staff uh, to have Ronald and Kurt and, and Keith Gonzalez serve us effectively each Sunday morning as we gather. I know Keith is here, Ronald's out of town, Kurt just led us. Uh, and our worship team that has been available to work together to make our setting a, a conducive environment for us to put our hearts before God and enjoy his presence. Uh, you know, we're about to transfer to some, some, some changes in our youth ministry. Um, got a, a, one particular man who is, has stepped forward to, to help us in the coming days as air, um, as Evan is moving on, Aaron Vogel is going to be helping us with our youth ministry. I'm so grateful for, uh, yep, his interactions. Um, LCC Kids, every time, you know, I know we had the pandemic, but LCC Kids is a major production every week. It takes a lot of folks to get coordinated, to get all their resources together and to serve our children each week. So uh, Abby Lemoyne, Belinda Vogel, uh, Aaron Vogel is again helping out in that area as well. Our VBS is a major production. I certainly hope you're making room for that in your schedule because this is a gift every year, the creativity and the excellence that goes into what we present to our kids. That's going to get remembered. I've got marks on my calendar of days in which my kids in VBS, after VBS made their way up into my office in tears, affected by the presence of God. I've got, I've got marks on my calendar of when those things happen for some of them. So uh, VBS every year, Hope and Ellen just do an incredible job of being creative and, and creating ways for folks to serve meaningfully. Uh, if you're here on early on Sunday mornings, you get to be a part of the school, the word David Batten and Peter Davidson help with that every week. Our seniors ministry. Wow. Uh, the guys who have served our seniors, especially during the pandemic, when there was so much dislocation and, and lack of connection for folks, but, but Farrell Green and, and Belinda Vogel do an incredible job of relating to and caring for our seniors ministry. So grateful for them. Our small groups uh, are such a vital part of who we are because fellowship and relating to one another matters so deeply in the kingdom of God. And this has been a year of distance. It's been a year of challenge. It's been new technologies and Zoom call meetings and some people in person and some people not. But I'm going to thank each of our, our small group leaders for opening their lives and their home and investing in us, Ron and Flo Ailman, uh, Mike and Darlene Batto, Donnie and Judy Bourgeois, Lester and Janine Coe, Steve and Linda Roberts, David and Whitney Loria, David and Barbara Mueller, uh, Bill and Nancy got assisted by Ronald this year, so grateful for him trying to lighten their load a bit, uh, Aaron and Ashley Vogel, Farrell and Linda Green, and Chris and Sue Ellen Spencer, 
uh, Miguel and, and Georgina, Phil and Liz Widener. Uh, these folks serve segments of our church in just incredibly important ways. Uh, we've had other aspects of ministry that this year we, we kicked off in spite of some of the pandemic challenges. Uh, the Cherish Marriage Course, a few of you have gone through that with, with Frank and Annette. Uh, prayer ministry that gets stood up each each month in different ways by different leaders. Lester Coe leading our men's group, the Tuesday morning prayer gathering as well. By Frank gives some leadership to that. Uh, women's ministry, uh, a variety of ladies who have stepped up and cared for our women through this past year. Uh, the well that meets on Wednesday nights, Hope and, and Lisa uh, giving lead to that. Mops program, Whitney and Frankie, who have served our, our young moms so effectively. Women in the Word by Miss Anna takes place uh, regularly. The Alpha program that Frank leads. We stood up a POPs ministry, which, which you've heard announced is a ministry to uh, young dads, just to help get some traction in, in, in important areas. Thanks to Nick Missios for creating that space for us. And then our pivot ministry, our young adults uh, ministry, grateful for Luke and for David and Frankie Batten, who have been hosting that as well. So it's Pentecost Sunday, and the Spirit of God is among us through a wide variety of folks. Can we just thank God and give these folks a big round of applause who are among us? Thank you. All right, let's do this because you're probably already tired of listening to me and I still need to talk more. Um, how about a two minute break just to go greet somebody that you'd like to greet that you want to get comfortable saying hello to from whatever distance makes you comfortable to do that these days. But two minutes, we'll come right back here and then we're going to jump into the word together.
All right. You guys can find your way back to a seat. All right. I feel like we could we could do announcements every week for half the message. Uh, so much to try and keep up with, so much going on, and I'm not sure if if your personal worlds feel like uh, mine, but it just feels like there's just a lot to pay attention to and a lot of new things being done and a lot of things that used to be done a certain way are now being done a different way and decisions in all kinds of categories. And that's how life has felt for, I think, for a lot of us. It's how life feels for us in this season as a church. And I know many of you have been praying for the elders as we seek to navigate through this, this season of change, uh, not just social change, cultural change, church world change, but just, you know, our own staff changing and some things that we've been uh, walking through this past year. Uh, you know, one of the things that we were praying about for uh, a while now, probably for a couple of years, was just ways in which we could strengthen our, our children's ministry area and our ministry to young families. God seemed to just be sending more and more folks to us in those categories. And that's just a vitally important season of life for discipleship. And so as we were praying about that, uh, the Lord just began to, to put some things together for us to discover how that we could bring another person on staff with us to strengthen that aspect of, of what we're doing. And I won't tell you all the details of how the Lord worked out for us to cross paths. Uh, actually, we had crossed paths a long time ago. It just, it was, it was a, a new path to have a new discussion on uh, with a, a dear brother and his wife who are in Dallas, Texas, um, part of a church that was part of Sovereign Grace Churches for years. And uh, they are here with us this morning. And the reason why they're here with us this morning is because we have been interviewing, interacting with, and, and walking with these guys now for a little while uh, to see if the Lord was leading them to move here, to be a part of Lakeview and to come serve us in, in, as a staff member to strengthen our, our children's ministry. So they feel like the Lord has said yes to that. So they are here in New Orleans visiting so that they can find a place to live. Uh, they're visiting houses and they would very much appreciate your prayer. I know they had their five kids with them earlier, but somehow that's, they're probably at children's ministry. That's how that works. That, that's why we have children's ministry, by the way. I, I, knew, I knew you knew that, but uh, this is Ryan and Cretia Lowe. If you guys could stand up, just let us welcome you and thank God for all that he's doing with you. And obviously we, we, we have more to share in that category, but since they were in town, we didn't want to pass up the opportunity just to, to invite you to participate, invite you to pray for them. A lot of adjustments, uh, them moving, leaving job, leaving uh, a church, leaving their setting in Dallas that they've been in for a number of years and, and relocating here. So there's a lot that the Lord is in the, in the works of uh, blessing them with and giving them some direction for, I know they would appreciate your prayers. All right. Well, this morning is Pentecost Sunday and I, I, I don't miss many Pentecost. If you go back and, and check out all the Pentecost Sundays throughout the history of our church, I don't miss too many Pentecost Sundays because 
Pentecost Sunday is spoken about and pointed to in Scripture in such a way that it's right up there. It's, it's part of the big three. You know, you got Christmas, you got Easter, you got Pentecost Sunday. And so a lot of folks might feel like, well, I don't know about that. Um, well, I think you should know about that. Pentecost is a massively important day. The Bible both points to it on its way there. And then it looks back to it and points back to it in significant ways. So I realize that, you know, if I say the word Pentecost, right? If we did a little word association game this morning, I say, I say Pentecost, you say Holy Spirit. That was a popular answer this morning. Power, fire. All right. Some of you guys are former Pentecostals or charismatics. I can tell. Um, Pentecost awakens a lot of responses for people, right? There, there are some who might respond with, you know, yeah, charismatic, spiritual gifts. There are others who would respond with a word more like continuation, uh, caution, concern, right? There would be some people who, when it comes to that word and, and that activity, there has been experiences that they have had, or they have heard of experiences, or they know other folks who have had experiences, or they went to a church one time or a few times where something that got associated with that word puts that word into an awkward category for them. Um, and I, I won't unpack this thought, but just, you know, just go with me here. When you just open the Bible up, the Bible doesn't speak about Pentecost that way, right? The Bible doesn't slap words like caution, concern on Pentecost because the Bible's seeing Pentecost for what it is. And then there's moments in which human beings get involved in anything God is doing, right? I mean, we could slap some cautionary words on things like marriage and family because we've seen those being done very poorly, but that doesn't mean God's not all over that and God doesn't have wisdom for that. But I, I want to associate something with us today that when I look at the word Pentecost, I, I, my, my next thought, I want to be more, more, right? So we, we've been doing a little conversation with how God sometimes just reboots some things in our life. This discipleship reboot we've visited throughout the year this year. I want to reboot the word more. I want to reboot the concept that there is a God who interacts with our lives. And when he does, there's more, there's more than where I'm at right now. There's more to be experienced. There's more of an impact that he wants to have. That wherever you are right now, maybe you're here this morning and you're not very encouraged about where you are. Maybe you're in a really dry place. We, we get in those places where we get in struggling places. And, you know, an encouraging word in that moment is there's more. There's more than where you are. That's not all that there is. You know, when we think about Pentecost, we think about power for ministry. So there's, there's aspects of ministry. We're ministering in our homes. We're ministering as we raise our children. We're ministering as we do fellowship with one another. We're ministering in children's ministry today. We're ministering as we pray for one another. And in all those moments, there can be power or there can be a lack of power in those settings. And in every one of those places, I want to be aware, there's more. Because of Pentecost, there's more. And so I want us to see how the, the prophets anticipated that there would be more. When Pentecost arrived, Jesus anticipated that there would be more when Pentecost arrives and church history bears witness to us that there are these moments of more that we want to pay attention to. So let's go back and visit the prophets first. I put in your outline of thought there. It says it was always in the plan of God that Pentecost would open a new door 
into a new day, a new type of interaction between God and man, a new day, not something that existed before. When Pentecost arrived, this interaction between heavenly divine power and the person of God himself would begin to be different with us. So we should notice that the activity and experiencing of the Holy Spirit is accentuated with variation and not stagnation, right? So there's the activity of the Spirit. I want to say there's variation to it. It kind of, it ebbs and flows. It's up and down. It's not always exactly the same thing. So it's not just this, going to stay just like this presentation. That's not how we see it in scripture. And that's not how we see it in real life. Remember, we, we visited Ezekiel a few weeks ago. So we were looking at just, you know, the, the social revolutions of our day and, and how God spoke into that moment of social revolution through Ezekiel back in Ezekiel 22. But then in Ezekiel 36, the description that we visited there is a description of Pentecost. It's Ezekiel looking forward by God's revelation to this day of Pentecost. Remember this? Ezekiel 36 verse 26. It says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, right? This was radical. This was a radical thought. You and I read this because we're New Testament saints. This was a radical thought. Up until this moment, the only dwelling place of the spirit was in the tabernacle, in the temple, in the most holy place. So for somebody to break out the news that, ah, oh, every one of you, you're going to have the spirit. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Right? When I said Pentecost, how many of y'all said walk? How many of y'all said obey, right? When we think Pentecost, I mean, come on, we, you know, typical Pentecost is going to land in the spiritual gifts department, but there's something here that Ezekiel looked forward to that he says, no, no, no. When that day comes and this work of the spirit takes place on the inside of you, it's going to affect your walk. It's going to bring about obedience in your life. How many of y'all thought obedience was a Pentecostal word, right? We used to, that's, that's, I don't know, the Baptist word. I don't know what that is. It's a Pentecostal word because it comes from and is sourced by the spirit. And I, I love the fact that this is where Ezekiel breaks in with this news, this moment where the whole world has fallen apart, right? Remember the day in which he's living, the descriptions that we got of Jerusalem from Ezekiel 22, how terrible those things were, right? That was the day of great neglect among people. There was discrimination taking place. There was an abuse of power. There was crime, political corruption. People didn't care. That was the day in which Ezekiel breaks the news of Pentecost is coming. This new day is coming. And whoa, what a difference it's going to make in how you walk with one another. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's a lot of new vocabulary words out there. I'm, I'm recognizing Ezekiel didn't use the term Pentecost here. He's referring to the day in which it would come. But there's all kinds of vocabulary being introduced to us out there. I can't even keep up with it. Right? There's new concepts. There's new ways of solving all the human problems. There's new ways that we need to come together around certain ideas. And, and and, you know, you're being canceled if you don't jump on board. The, the church is being accused of being out of touch with certain things, et cetera, et cetera. 
Can, can I just point something out here? I don't expect the world to use the term Pentecost as a solution to anything. But in God's plan, Pentecost is a solution to something. Pentecost is the unique coming of the Spirit of God in a way that's individual and that's powerful that would revolutionize our lives. It would result in all kinds of power. Part of that power would be miraculous power. Part of it would be spiritual gifts that would be expressed in the the kingdom of God. But part of it would be power to walk and power to obey. And there's lots of stuff out there that's riling everybody up and freaking everybody out these days. And there's an impulse that comes to us, a fleshly impulse to respond to that a certain way. But there is a day of Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes. And in his power, I have a new walk. And I have power available for that new walk. And I have new obedience. Listen, when you find yourself in a hard spot, and I know many of us have. This has been a hard year and a hard setting. And and, and it shows up in a variety of spaces. It can feel really hard to take the next step in obedience to God. That walk of obedience to God. I just, I'm not motivated. I'm lethargic. I'm distracted. I'm having a hard time. Where does the power come from for me in that moment? Well, it comes from Pentecost. It comes from what God works in us. And notice something here. All this description by Ezekiel, it's, a, it's an inside out thing. It's the spirit's going to dwell in you. And then he's going to do something on the inside of you that's going to find its way out of you. Listen, there is no substitute for that. However, we do make substitutions for a lot of what God does, don't we? How many of you guys don't raise your hands on this? It would feel awkward. How many of you guys have ever felt like the church, the setting, is, it feels like an outside-in activity? It feels like people out there pressuring you to do something in here. For you to, to do what they do to be like them, to fit in a certain way, to speak and act in conformity with something that's being pressured on you from the outside. Right? I don't think we can erase that when you gather people together that comes with the nature of that, but that's not what this is describing. And, and unfortunately for a church, that can become the substitute for Pentecost. In God's plan, Pentecost was an inside out thing. It was the Holy Spirit coming on the inside and doing whatever the Spirit does, rattling us, imparting something to us, disturbing us, moving us, inspiring us, giving us faith and courage and boldness, sticking something on the inside of me that makes me want to do what God says to do from the inside out. Right? We're having a Pentecost power failure. If I'm sitting here today and I don't really want to, Keith, I don't want to do anything you're describing. I, I, I didn't even, I don't even, I don't even know that I really want to be here today. I, I didn't really want to sing the songs this morning. I, I just, I just don't want, do you understand? That's a Pentecost breakdown. You know, we can, we can blame it on a lot of external things. That's a Pentecost breakdown because the thing that God said that he would do is that he would put something greater in us than what's around us. And how many, you know, you need that to be in fellowship with each other. You need something greater in you to overcome all the things that are challenging for us to be living together in proximity to one another. I need something greater in me. When family gets hard and marriage gets hard and, and work gets hard, 
I need something on the inside of me that's greater than what's pressing me on the outside. And that's God's design. That's what Pentecost was supposed to be. I'm going to call it this. It's almost like God sticks this spiritual pacemaker on the inside of you. Right? Anybody here? We only had one person in the first survey had a pacemaker. Anybody have a pacemaker? Pacemaker? Nobody. I know that's a HIPAA violation, whatever I just did. But um, I was just curious to see. What's making you tick? Um, all right, so you know how that thing works, right? And you, you put a pacemaker in and it, and it attaches some kind of electrode uh, impulse to the heart so that when the heart kind of gets disrupted or it gets out of step, if you will, that, that internal impulse can kind of like, boom, kind of give it a little bump, give it a little nudge, a little electricity to kind of shift it back into shape. Well, that's kind of, that's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. That's why he can empower our walk and our obedience because on the inside, I can get out of step, right? I, I begin to walk in doubt. I begin to walk in fear. I begin to walk in my own imaginations and I, I get off track. And the Holy Spirit does something on the inside of me. Just takes those little paddles that are attached to the motivations of my heart and kind of mm, sends a little signal there. I don't know how he does it. I don't know I'm making this up. I don't know how he does it, but I know he does it from the inside out. I know he comes into the centerpiece of whoever I am in my soul and manifests desires and motivation and courage and boldness and faith that I didn't have apart from him. Right, Jeremiah, who was a contemporary of Ezekiel, he saw this day as well. Jeremiah 31, verse 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, right? They're not here yet, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not... Like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, right? So there's this, this pre previous covenant, this previous arrangement that in human strength was broken by human beings. And God said, it's not going to be like that. Verse 33, for this is the, this, that's things, this different one. This is the covenant that I will make. With the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And, and no longer shall they teach each one his neighbor and his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me. But listen, you know, be careful. That, that's not an... Uh, uh, the Bible busting, uh, destroying teaching from now on. Nobody teach anybody else to know the Lord. No, we know that's not true, right? The Bible's filled with us teaching one another and speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're supposed to be teaching each other. And there's a gift of teaching that God gives to the church. But, but what's being described here is that, that knowledge that you only got from out there. That community knowledge, right? I mean, you grew up in the church. You've always gone to church. This has always been what you've been about, you know? So you kind of inherited Christianity. And that, that sense of belief actually sits among the people you hang out with more than it sits in you. And God says, you know, I'm going to do something in that new covenant that's different than that. What I'm going to do is going to be born witness on the inside of you. There's going to be a spirit present inside of you who writes on your heart. And when you go to look inside your own heart, you're going to read his writing. 
and you're going to come in contact with the reality of a God who is really present inside of you. And in that sense, no one will have to teach you, know the Lord, know the Lord. You will know the Lord. You will have encounters with him. You will pick his, his Bible up and read it and words will leap off the page and capture your attention and flood your heart and light will come in. You will have encounters with God where you didn't have faith five minutes ago, but you do now. You have a heart to obey, but I didn't want to obey. And I had a hundred reasons and I've told everybody I've been around why I'm not going to obey. But suddenly God does something on the inside of you. And nobody had to tell you, know the Lord. Nobody had to tell you, obey God right now. He said he would work inside of you, right? To walk and to obey him. So listen, hey, don't go weak on Pentecost. This is what it means to be Pentecostal, all right? Because all this stuff is being empowered by the spirits in our lives, not just some narrow few categories. And then Joel, in Joel chapter two, he brings to us you know, what, what often is taught on at Pentecost. Joel two verse 28, Old Testament prophet says, and it shall come to pass afterward, right? So this is a coming thing, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So there's something different God does in this moment. God is pouring out his spirit. So what was he doing before? Well, he wasn't doing that. The pouring out is more than what God was doing before. So there can be moments in which the activity of God, the activity of the Holy Spirit among us is best described by a pouring out. Right? I mean, maybe, you know, think of the, the guys go over, get some Gatorade during the game, drink a little cup, and then they just dump the whole bucket on the coach, right? That's, there, there's a little bit more going on there, isn't there? And the Holy Spirit is like that. And God is like that among us. He says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my Spirit. So there's going to be this supernatural dimension. And when the Spirit is poured out, experiences will come. And in this setting, in Joel 2, that, that's the passage that gets quoted by the Apostle Peter when he's trying to explain to people the day of Pentecost when people were speaking in tongues. God had come, and then there was an outpouring, and, and Peter's reference point was hey, this is what Joel said would happen. It's happening. So there is an aspect where Pentecost is that classic sense of manifestations of the spirit in categories that are simply supernatural manifestations. And there's going to be more. Jesus anticipated more. Right? Listen to the language that Jesus used when he described this coming day of Pentecost. John 7 verse 37. He said, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Out of where? Out of the inside. There's going to be such a work that takes place on the inside that the flow is going to go this way, not this way. Goes on and he says, now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus saw a day when the spirit would operate under the banner of more. There's going to be more in that day. 
There has been the Spirit. It's not until the Spirit has been unemployed. The Spirit's been at work. But there's coming a day when there's going to be more. And then Jesus picks that up at the end of his life. Luke chapter 24, after he's been resurrected. says, And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. But stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. I'm going to read another case because Jesus brought this up a lot and it captures my attention that Jesus brought this up a lot. Because I mean, I, I, love to, I love to teach anything that the Bible is making clear, right? So uh, every Sunday I fall in love with whatever message I'm preaching. It's the most important thing I can possibly talk to you about this morning. And last week I felt the same way. So when I come to Jesus in this moment at the end of his life, he's gone through the cross Listen, now I'm preaching Pentecost this morning, but I preached a few messages on the cross. The cross is the centerpiece of the Christian universe, isn't it? What took place on that cross restored us to God. It justified us. It was the means to deal with our departure from God and the incurable distance that was between us. And then the resurrection comes. And that's no small item, is it? The power of God to resurrect the life of Jesus after the judgment of God has fallen upon him. The statement that gets made there. Not only the statement of power, but the statement of justification that's there. All right, so when I look at the event that just took place, and you got Pentecost is, is 50 days a- after uh, the, the, the Passover. So you have this 50-day window where Jesus is going to talk to some people. What's he going to talk about during that time? I would thought he'd have busted out a, a, an early version, an early read on Romans, right? I'm just going to unpack the doctrine of justification for you because I just finished justifying you. So can I just break this out, break it down for you? Here, here's how justification works. Here's what I've done. Here's what you expect from God. Oh, and this guy Paul's going to come down later and he's going to write some stuff down on, on this for you as well. Jesus doesn't bring that up. <clears throat> Do you know what he does bring up? Pentecost. A lot. He draws their attention to Pentecost. It's, it's kind of like he accomplished the justification. The resurrection has occurred and he points them to Pentecost now. Acts 1 verse 4 does it again. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8. And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. You will receive power. What do we have now, Jesus? Where you're going to have more. Whatever you have right now, you're going to have more. There's a day coming when there's more going to break out in your life. Gordon Fee's written an outstanding volume on the Spirit. He calls God's empowering presence. He says, the single most notable characteristic of the Spirit of God is his power. Thus, the Spirit of God is recognized as the invisible power creating or affecting a whole variety of realities. Is that what you thought when I said Pentecost? You thought variety of realities. Probably not. But that's what the power of the Spirit of God is affecting. A variety of of realities. Now pull that into your own life for a moment. Don't let Pentecost become this thing that, hey, Pentecost is about that, that unique 
kind of weird ability to walk up to somebody who's seeking prayer in the front of the church and put my hands on them and to say something really off the wall and helpful to them. That's Pentecost. That's an aspect of Pentecost. But can I tell you, most of y'all, I'm here during the week, most of y'all are not hanging out up here. When you go off and do your life, you're off doing your life. You have a variety of realities. And God's intention was that Pentecost would invade your variety of realities. And it would do it with power. The Spirit of God, therefore, meant the effective working of the power of God. It's probably fair to say that even though the two words, spirit and power, are not coterminous, the presence of the one, spirit, always implies the presence of the other, power. So in whatever way you're living your life this week, you live with the Holy Spirit in you, in you. Therefore, you have power in you. Every moment of your life that God has called you to do anything is a moment where the power of God is present by the Spirit. Now, let me pick up just a couple of examples here from church history. When we stare into church history, there are moments to anticipate more through church history, but there are also moments of less as well. And we got to be honest about that because it's accurate. It's also true in the Bible as well. So I put the, wrote this in your outline there. The testimony of church history is not a consistent testimony of more. Right? It's not a graph that always goes up more, 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 more. It is a real story of more and less. It introduces us to the reality of variation in experiencing the spirit, not necessarily some smooth continuation. So when you and I join a church, get around a movement, believe that the Bible actually describes that there's this power encounter with the Spirit of God and we don't do our homework carefully, we will break out our own curve, right? And so a little plot line here and the curve starts here. Well, when the Spirit comes, Keith, and you said more, so the line looks like this, right? It's just always more, 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 more experience, deeper, more effective, more powerful, et cetera. It's all, that's the way it's going to look, right? No. That's not the way it's looked for others. That's not the way it looks in the Bible. So we need to be careful how we label that, right? You remember in, in history in our country, there were, there were these moments in which the Spirit of God was poured out on our country and revivals took place. They called them the Great Awakenings, right? There was one in the 1700s, the 1800s. It went all the way into the third one in the 1900s, right? Listen, listen to this thought. This is recorded from Jonathan Edwards, who was a pastor in the early 1700s in uh, Northampton, Massachusetts. And he records, he was, he was at the epicenter of the, of the first great awakening, right? God was using him and others to bring forth this great awakening amongst God's people in America. He says, in the former part, this is his writing back from 1735. He says, in the former part of this great work, of God amongst us. A great work as, as compared to a different work, right? Till it got to its height. So Jonathan Edwards would recognize, hey, it's higher now than it was just yesterday. We seem to be wonderfully smiled upon and blessed in all respects. Satan seemed to be unusually restrained. Persons that before had been involved in melancholy, you know, depressed, seemed to be, as it were, waked up out of it. And those that had been entangled with extraordinary temptations seemed wonderfully to be set at liberty. And not only so, but it was the most remarkable time of health 
that ever I knew since I have been in the town. It was power. There was more power in that moment than what his grandfather saw who pastored that same church and who didn't see that kind of responsiveness from people. He was seeing something different. Then it goes on and says, this was Jonathan Edwards' assessment of his town's spiritual health in 1735. Just a little while after this happy state, however, a period of decline and despair struck the community. In the latter part of May, Edwards wrote, it began to be very sensible that the spirit of God was gradually withdrawing from us. And after this time, Satan seemed to be more let loose and raged in dreadful manner. Satan, more let loose, raging in dreadful manner. I, I, want, I want to pick that up and stick it as a bumper sticker on America right now, because that's what it feels like, right? It feels like there's an evil at work in our world that doesn't compare to past works. It's just accentuated. It's off the charts different. He says, this great promise of the 1735 revival waned as the town gradually settled into a spiritual malaise. So there was an outpouring moment, and, and then there was something that was down here for a season. Right, and here, and here's, the, here's the danger of being the wrong kind of, what I call the wrong kind of continuationist. Right, The, the, the technical term theologically for being a continuationist is the modern label that you believe that when you read the New Testament and it describes the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, you believe as a continuationist, you believe that work continues today and into the day in which Jesus will return. Right, that's how you properly use the term continuationist. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to abuse the word and use it a little bit differently. What happens when your experience, maybe like the guys in Northampton, it was up here and at some point, and then it wanes and it becomes this down here. And this begins to continue for months, years. And your experience has only been this now. You come into the church, you've never experienced anything different than this. You know what's very tempting to do? Is to believe that that is going to always continue. So you can be a person who, and you may be here today, you may be watching. You've never prayed for anybody to be healed because you've never seen anybody healed. That's a bad continuationist, isn't it? I'm not going to step into a category that the Holy Spirit reveals that he actually does show up in because my experience is only going to continue. I don't, I've never, I've prayed for people that have never been healed. So I'm just going to stop doing that. Well, what else are we going to stop doing? Because my experience didn't show up in that category. I don't want to continue my experience. I, I want to stare into the Bible and say, there's a God who does more. There's a God who said, one day I'll show up in ways that'll blow your mind. One day I can show up and pour something out that's different than the day before. I can do something in the right here and the right now in your life. And I can show up in a variety of your realities and do exactly that. So this is just, just an appeal for us to believe for Sunday mornings with the altar filled and we're, we're seeing miraculous events, although we should be seeking that and we should be wanting that. This is an appeal for us to let Pentecost dial up every category of our lives with more power and presence of God that could show up this week in a way that wasn't there last week. And just because last week or last month or the last year for you has been a dry desert with God feeling like he's nowhere to be found. Don't 
make your continuationist theology make you believe, and that'll be this week too. There's a God who shows up and interrupts and injects himself and pours out his spirit with power in our lives. I think I wrote in your outline there, church history demonstrates variation more than it demonstrates continuation. If, it is, if I assume continuation, I may find my posture is not leaning in. I'm not, I'm not available. I'm not seeking because I assume nothing new is going to happen. God's not going to show up in my life in some powerful way. So why even pursue that? Why be open to that, right? One guy who was writing, Michael Yount, wrote a biography about A.B. Simpson in the 1800s, and he described these revivals this way. He said, revivals in both the eastern and western United States, they blended together to become the second great awakening. Gradually, the awakening began to fade. By 1840, religious life in the United States was at low ebb. It would continue to decline until the third great awakening began in 1857. The third awakening would continue all the way to World War I. One writer, Orr, divides the third great awakening into three phases. He writes, the first phase began in the revival of religion, which followed an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Wait, where did it come from? An outpouring of the Holy Spirit. How do you know it was an outpouring? Well, you just could see. You could see what was happening. God was disrupting the everyday and replacing it with something else because God can do that. God can show up in this hour at a measure that wasn't what it felt like last week. He goes on and he says, first, clearly manifested in the remarkable movement of prayer. First, clearly manifested. We need clear manifestations of the spirit in our lives. We need reminders that God actually does show up in the here and now in our lives. And the first one he pointed to was a remarkable movement of prayer with its attendant conviction of sin. A remarkable movement of prayer. Something going off on the inside of us that draws us to pray, to call out to God, to believe something that we weren't doing last week, but just for this, for some reason this week, I've got it in my heart. There's a passion in me. There's a belief that this, this could happen. Where did that come from? Well, the God who said he would write on my heart did it. The Holy Spirit who said he would work from the inside out. He's depositing things in me and I'm beginning to pray those things out. An increased sensitivity to the conviction of sin. Listen, you and I are living in some of the most dull, difficult, hostile, easy to stumble, say the wrong thing, do the wrong thing moments in human history. We just are. I'm not sure how many of the people of God have just become insensitive to the Holy Spirit. Just saying, don't say that that way. Don't speak to people like that. Don't have that kind of attitude. Don't join that. Don't like that. Are you shocked at the, some of the things that you like or you see other people like in social media? Right? There is a dullness of the spirit there. But what if we prayed and believed that God could restore a sensitivity to the spirit, that things that are not pleasing to God would suddenly show up in our eyes and we'd see them as exactly that. That doesn't mean we become jerks to each other, by the way. 
But it means that, that, that we have a sensitivity to the things that adorn God's beauty and the things that celebrate darkness and the devil and sin and corruption in this world. But I trust these awakenings, these moments where God wakes us up is a work of the spirit that Pentecost ushered in a day where dullness could get pierced and this sense of distance and this insensitivity. And we just, we just do and say things that are not pleasing to God, but God could invade that and change it. He says in the general sense, leaderless, this phase of the revival became the means of winning hundreds of thousands to Christian way of life, right? There was, there was a ramping up of salvations in this moment. It's peak past, but the Christian communities were by then operating upon a higher level of spiritual effectiveness, a higher level. I want to make some room for this terminology in my own life. I want to be able to say next week could be a higher level than this week. Do you believe that? Do you believe that your walk could be at another level next week? Do you believe that God could do something showing up just by the Holy Spirit? Not some, some fake thing that any of us are conjuring up, just an interaction that the Spirit has deposited something and awakened something in us that just wasn't there last week. And we're experiencing something different from God and it nudges us to begin to pray a little differently, to be open, to come into agreement with God in some ways, to take a step of faith in a category that we've been struggling to obey God. And remember, obedience is a Pentecost word. Walking is a Pentecost word. It's the empowerment of God to do things that you and I lack the willingness to do on our own and the power to do on our own. Kurt, you can come back up, buddy. Here's something that's happened. And I'm going to read it to you from a non-Pentecostal here in just a second. So those of you who are like, oh man, that Pentecostal thing weirds me out. Um, All right. Tim Keller is not a Pentecostal. He's Presbyterian. But Tim sets out a theological reality in this quote I'm about to give you. That just listen carefully for it because it is the theological accurate presentation that the, the future full power of God that you and I look forward to in heaven one day, God made it poke its way into right now. And he reached all the way back to Pentecost and did that. Now, quite honestly, God has reached back throughout human history, even before Pentecost. You know, you part the Red Sea because you're the God who has power over everything. But God normalized it in some ways and made it personal at Pentecost. So that he could say, hey, there's coming a day where all this power outbreak, but I'm going to reach back into your broken world and I'm going to, I'm going to show up in power. I'm going to inject power and I'm going to do it in all kinds of places. I'm not just going to do it at the altar when you come forward for prayer. I'm, I'm going to do it in your heart when you're driving in a car. I'm going to do it before you post that thing. I'm going to do it before you and your wife blow each other up. I'm going to be with you in power in those moments when you don't want to obey me in your flesh, but I'm going to do something greater on the inside of you. That's the power God's describing here, right? So listen to Mr. Keller, help us see this. He says, the resurrection was indeed a miraculous display of God's power, but we should not see it as a suspension of the natural order of the world. Rather, it was the beginning of the restoration of the natural order of the world. The world as God intended it to be. Since humanity turned away from God, both the human and natural worlds have been dominated by sin and evil, disorder and disease, suffering and death. But when Jesus rose from the dead, 
he inaugurated the first stage. That's why he was looking forward to this day when he was raised of the coming of God's kingdom power into a world to restore and heal all things. The resurrection means not merely that Christians have a hope for the future, right? One day, but that they have hope that comes from the future. It's come to us right now, right here. The Bible's startling message is that when Jesus rose, he brought the future kingdom of God into the present. It's not yet here fully, but it is here substantially. Right, if you have an outline there and that notes are available to you, can you hold on to that phrase? Because that one phrase will rescue you from hyper faith and prosperity teachings. Because it's appropriate to say it is not here fully. Nobody in this room has got the right to claim that your body that you live in is not going to decay, get a disease, and die. Because you have great faith. You have all the faith you want. That's not the time zone that you live in. That glorified body that you get when you get to heaven, that one will do that. That one will never grow old. It won't have any problems. There'll be no disease, etc. But you don't live in heaven. So for you to claim by faith something that's not available to you right now, it makes, it makes you confuse everybody about what faith is. But when you see this, there's something that has arrived. It has not arrived fully, but it has arrived substantially. It is present. And it's messing with our world. And it may not heal everybody, but it heals some. And it gives everybody a taste that that's what we're on our way to. Everybody here may not get a prophetic word for somebody, but some will. Everybody may not perform some miracle. There may not be some incredible injection of faith in every person's life at every single moment. But there will be substantial injections of faith into people's lives as the Holy Spirit gives us. So we need to be open to this. This is the more that is in this moment with us with God. Keller goes on and says, it means that the glory of God in the realm of heaven has now come to earth, not merely in episodic appearances or even within an inner sanctuary, like in the old Testament, but into the people of God. Second, it means that when Jesus rose, he brought the future new creation into the present world so that the old world and the age of sin and death now overlaps with the new. The kingdom has come now. And yet it will come in fullness at the end of history. He says the kingdom of God then means the renewal of the world through the introduction of supernatural forces. God's going to exercise his force, his might at the end of time to shut down the old heaven and the old earth and create a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to use supernatural power to do that. Now he's just installing taste of that now. And Pentecost was the moment when it became more natural, more normal, if you will, for more to invade our lives. So here's what I want us to do this morning. This is what, this is what I think has happened in some of these categories. If I have a default setting that I just believe that God continues to do what he did in the New Testament, that can sort of sound very, very automatic. And so therefore, whatever he was doing... He'll figure out a way to do it. He'll just do it. 
And so I just take my hands off. I stop leaning in. I'm not available. I'm not seeking. I don't grow, etc. But you know, every time God is doing, humanity is doing. Right? We walk by faith. God doesn't walk by faith in our place, does he? Does anybody read the Bible that it says that? The sovereign God, who is the mover and shaker of all things, so that at the end of my life, when I've walked the distance that God has given me, and I get to the end, I will, I will fully wholeheartedly say all glory to God. But I took every one of those steps. And both of those things will be true. And so to, to believe that God continues to inject his power in our lives, it means receiving that power. It means exercising that power. It means taking steps of faith with that power. It means having courage that the Holy Spirit gives to us. That's going to feel like real courage on the inside of us. It means making decisions of obedience that that power has given us grace to make them. But it it means leaning in. It means not sitting back. It means not having our arms folded, watching something supposedly continue. I think that's a recipe for low tide to continue rather than the power of God to show up in amazing ways among us. So let's, let's stand up together. I want us to, to ask the Lord. I want us to posture ourselves. I hope you are in a place where you're saying, Lord, I want Pentecost to mean more. It means more in my soul, in my life. It means more in my moment, in my season right now. So let's just, you and the Holy Spirit, just begin to have some conversation right now. Turn your heart, turn your attention to him. God intended for this Pentecost day to inaugurate something in our lives. Lord, there are probably a number of us here gathered this morning some watching I'm sure Lord that we just feel like we're walking through some kind of a desert the words rivers of living waters just doesn't seem to describe what life is feeling like for some of us this place feels dry and God you feel so distant God, before I start believing that that's just going to continue, that's just going to be, that's how it feels last week. It's going to feel that way again this week and next month. It's probably going to just be more of that. Lord, today I've stared at the Holy Spirit given to us on the inside, working from the inside out, rivers of living water. Where'd that come from? There was no water in me a moment ago. It was a desert in me, but suddenly there's water. There's a puddle. There's flow, there's movement. God, I pray for every person who's part of our church family, Lord, who, who feels distant from you, who feels disconnected. Lord, this morning, we just want to believe for more. God, more of your invasion, more of your ability to disrupt the distance and the, the noise and the dry places. Lord, more of you coming into these places and doing what you said. Lord, you, you set these things in front of us so that we could know that tomorrow could be different than today. There's some here who are struggling to have faith in their moment. Lord, fear is more real than faith. Anxieties and, and discouragement, lethargy is, is more active in this moment than faith is. 
come. When I look at Pentecost and I look at how you anticipated when you called on us to stare at this moment and look for the power that comes from it for our lives. Lord, I'm challenged to believe that my discouragement is going to continue. It's just going to continue unabated. My anxieties or my fears are just going to continue unabated. That's never going to change. That's, that's how it's been last week. It's going to be that way again this week. God, disrupt these places. Let your spirit come with more, more power than what we've known before. An outpouring that's different than what we've known before. An awakening of faith in our hearts that's different than what we have known before. God, I pray for some who are here just... What brings them to this moment, Lord, it, it feels like bitterness in bringing them to this moment, Lord. It feels like anger has been traveling with them for a long, long time, Lord. And, and it's very tempting in this moment just to believe that's going to continue. It's been years, been years. God, we are gathered around a mighty, powerful word, this Pentecost, this moment of disruption by the Spirit. It tells us that doesn't need to continue. There's a power that's greater. There's cleansing and healing. Lord, that you could remove from us the condemnation of our own sin that drives us to be bitter and angry towards others. God, you could wipe that clean by the Spirit. That's what you said. You'd sprinkle clean water on us and we would be clean from all of our uncleannesses. And then you said you would put your Spirit within us. You'd cause us to walk. God, would you cause us this morning to forgive? Would you cause us to not be embittered? Would you cause us to have hearts flooded with graciousness? Lord, rivers of living water of kindness and grace that flow because you're present in us. God, you're extending that. God, do that in our midst, Lord. Do that for those watching, God. Do that in our hearts because Pentecost was intended to be so much more. God, let that be the case. God, let this not just be a moment where we attended Sunday and we're just going to go back about the way in which we do things. God, would you invade Monday with more and Tuesday with more? God, would you lead us beyond Wednesday into more? God, would you take us from wherever we are, from the realities that are in this room, God, into more of the work and power of your spirit in our midst, unleashed and all for your glory. God, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. I know we kept our children's ministry a little bit longer. So if you've got kids in children's ministry, please head over there and help those guys out to get them handed off to you.